This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And I am joined by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Mary is part of the horticultural science faculty and extension horticulturist. If you have a question, lawn and garden question, Mary is the person you want to talk with. There's the pressure. <laughs> no pressure, right, Denny? Good morning. Good, good to, to be see you here. Again. By the way, we were talking off air if you have a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in. It's the same number, uh, 651-989-9226. That orange marmalade was unbelievable, is, still is, because... Glad you enjoyed that, Really? Yes, do you do that often? Do you, that's do you... amazing. Well, usually every every January is usually when I pick those little Kalamondan oranges, and this year was a bumper crop, so I had so much I could give it away. And Dennis mentioned a friend of his making an uh, orange chicken orange dinner. Orange chicken, yes. With There there are some recipes with orange uh, orange rinds or orange marmalade. Now what kind of or, little oranges are these? Kalamondan. So Kalamondan, yes, you won't find this orange for sale in the supermarket because it's extremely tart. Very. It's very intense. It's re- it's a very small orange, one to two inches in diameter. It's kind of a weedy orange. It grows like a weed. <laughs> so in the in the north, we can grow this as a house plant, and it will bear oranges. And the public can see a Kalamondan orange out at the arboretum. Oh, at the arboretum has it in the conservatory. Oh. There's a Kalamondan orange with a lot of oranges on it. And so, right, so my grandkids and I picked, uh, I had, what did I have, 166 oranges on the tree. So so I could make several pints of marmalade. And, yes, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. Well, I'm going to try that. I'm going to look up a recipe. And maybe Sandy and I can, you know, put something yes, together. Right. So it's, um, yeah, is it more of an Asian uh, twist yeah. with soy sauce? Or, but yeah, it's it's a good contrast for uh, chicken. I'm ready for it now. <laughs> <laughs> about you? All right. If you have any kind of, I said, a lawn or garden question, they're already coming in. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Same number for the text messages for uh, Mary Meyer. Uh, Barb is calling in from Princeton right away this morning. Barb, you on with Mary? Good morning. Um, I've got two uh, Christmas cactus that are starting to wilt, and I just realized I've been watering them with uh, water from my laundry tub, which is connected to my water softener. And I'm wondering if they are getting too much salt in that water, and if so, should I repot them? I've been using distilled water now, um, 
but I don't know if that's going to be enough to flush out any salt that might be getting in there and and causing them to wilt. Uh, ideally, yes, you don't want to use softened water, but I have to admit that I am not good about that in my house. Uh-huh. I, use, I, use, I just use the regular water coming out of the tap. I know Julie does not. Julie will talk right. about using uh, water that is not softened and and then uh, more of a neutral pH. That's the, um, the other issue. But I think, uh, Barbara, what might have happened is you may have been overwatering your Christmas cactus. The wilting is a sign of overwatering uh, just as much as it is underwatering. So um, if you can have an alternative to the softened water, I would do that. But I would really pay attention to... Um, how much you're watering it, and allow the plant to completely dry out to the touch in between waterings. You want to make sure you have a good drainage hole in the bottom of the pot. Uh, The cactus really do prefer clay pots that really dry out rather than a plastic pot. And double potting is not a good idea because that holds uh, that then the soil doesn't dry out as quickly. So um, you could cr- you can try um, repotting it, but I think the best thing is just to to really reduce the amount you're watering it. Okay. Yes, and Julie, like you said, Mary, Julie does recommend, and we do. Uh, we're lucky enough to at home have a. Uh, Kinetical reverse osmosis drinking water system, and yes. that's what we use to water our plants. I know. Right. And Julie says, well, you can go to the grocery store, keep filling up your jugs there. Yes, you can too. do that too. So many people have that that bypass, yeah. or um, that where it doesn't go through the or alternative uh, sources that's of water, true. rainwater, and things like that. That's that really is much better. And um, over the years, the high pH in the water and then the softened water, yes, you can have uh, problems yeah, with that. For sure. Right. Thank you, Barb. Good point. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, that's a, there's a line open if you want to use the phone to talk with Mary or send a text if that's easier. Same number, 651-989-9226. Texter wants to know, Mary, when is the best time to prune grape vines? Right now is a great time for pruning grapes. It's easy to see uh, the plants because the, the leaves are off so you can see the buds and count that. Uh, there are some really uh, kind of uh, detailed systems for pruning grapes, counting the buds and counting the number of main vines and the number of buds on the vines and so on. Grapes probably respond to pruning more than any other plant that we grow. They love to be pruned and they respond with great vigor after they have been pruned. So pruning is is a great idea. So now really is a great time for pruning all of our main uh, big trees as well. So oaks, we still have through the month of March uh, now that you can prune oaks and pruning large trees, pruning fruit trees, apples, and so on. This is ideal time to do that. Is there a type of grape? I remember my folks in their yard had a grape. I think they were like Concord grapes or whatever. Yes, right. Yeah, that that old Concord-type grape is one of the hardiest ones, so it's uh, pretty reliable, easy to grow here. Uh, Matt Clark, who is our grape uh, breeder at the University of Minnesota, is working on improved uh, hardy table grapes Mm. for Minnesota. So um, we'll see how that goes. He has hundreds of selections he's working on. But right now, you know, we're so used to all these wonderful grapes, uh, the uh, Thompson seedless, the green grapes, uh, black grapes, red grapes. 
Um, none of those really are very hardy for us in Minnesota. They're all um, come from California. And uh, so if we got some different uh, varieties without seeds, especially for yeah. Minnesota, that would be uh, a big improvement. I should say. Yeah. 651-989-9226 is the phone number, is also the text number. Let's uh, grab a phone call before we take a break. Uh, Bruce is calling from New Prague. Bruce, good morning. Good morning. What can we do for you? My question is, uh, for uh, starting seeds in the house, uh, tap water that's softened or unsoftened water? <laughs> so unsoftened is prefer- preferable. If you can do that, that has a lower salt content, and so that is really better to use for plants. Good for you, Bruce, getting your seeds started. So that's that's one of the things we can be doing this time of year. Yeah, if you, if you can get... Uh, Unsoften water for your plants, that's still the best, as right. we mentioned. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate the call. Uh, there's a text that says, I remember planting a couple of small false indigo plants, but doubted they could have spread this quickly. So how do I recognize it if it really is false indigo when it comes up or some weed that resembles it? <laughs> yeah. So I think this person with false indigo, that's a baptisia. Uh, that's one of our native uh, wildflowers or prairie plants. That's in the legume family. So that has uh, kind of uh, a leaflet with three small leaves on it. Uh, it's kind of a grayish, uh, glaucous, um, light light blue color uh, that's quite distinctive. So I would actually Google uh, Baptisia seedlings and see if you can find some images online with that. It's quite a challenge identifying seedlings when they come up. But there are some there are some literature on that, especially weed seedlings, identifying weed seedlings, because that's a challenge for uh, for all of us uh, as we look for what's good and what's bad coming up. Okay. And the other thing is you can always just wait. You know, don't pull up anything. Wait till you till things get six inches or so, and then it's much easier to identify. Yeah, have a little yeah. patience, eh? Have patience, right. right. Hang on, Mary. We'll take a quick break inviting our listeners. Don't wait now for your lawn or garden question. A lot of times we get backed up toward the last half hour, and we uh, don't get the chance to answer all your questions. So call them in, text it in as soon as you can. Same number applies, 651-989-9226. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. We are here on CCR every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your phone calls and text messages. Mary Myers in uh, today from the U of M. And uh, we, I, I know we're going to talk about the uh, Arboretum. Is that is that Flower Show just about? What today's the this last This is February? the last weekend of the Flower Show, today and tomorrow. So be sure and get out there. It's beautiful. Uh, wonderful flowers to see, uh, several different vignettes and displays, and a beautiful selection of orchids in the conservatory. Mm. Very, very nice. So the three-mile drive is not open to traffic, but you can walk around. I talked to someone yesterday who said no ice at all on three-mile drive for a walk. So great place what to What a great out. weather weekend for, yeah, for getting out. Yeah, to get there. out, see the flowers inside, and go for a walk outside, have a cup of coffee at the restaurant. Great uh, place to visit this weekend. Right there on Highway 5 and 41. Yes. That's the closest intersection. Right, there, southwest right? Of, uh, in, in, of the cities. Yeah, yes. easy to get to. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's see who's been waiting. Uh, Georgine is uh, calling from Forest Lake. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> I have uh, a hydrangea, and I don't know what to do with it. I didn't do anything with it in the fall. The leaves are still up 
up dry it in there and uh what should I do with it come spring well um it it depends a lot of times people worry about pruning hydrangeas how should I prune it what should I do and for the most part I don't prune any of my hydrangeas except to take off the dead flowers so if you have dead flowers on the tips uh sometimes I take those off but otherwise, you don't have to do anything. There is quite a variety of hydrangeas out there, and some of them, if you if you prune off the uh, stems in the spring, you're actually weakening the plant. So unless you've got a great big hydrangea that's, you know, 10 feet tall and you're worried about it getting too big, I wouldn't worry about pruning it. Uh, you're, you're best off to just let the buds come from wherever they are and... Um, Hopefully, you'll have a lot of blooms again this year. Very good. Thanks, Georgine. Uh, Judy is calling in from Blaine, I believe, this morning. Judy, you're on with Mary. Yes, good morning. I'm sure you've answered this question numerous times, but I have a peace lily, and I've had it. It'll be about three years in September. And every so often, uh, not a lot of leaves, but too many, uh, get brown on the tips. And, and crunchy. And I'm wondering, okay, they're back again. Now, what's going on? So that peace lily is one of our uh, flowering houseplants that uh, it, it really has a great ability to grow indoors with low light conditions. But it's also very sensitive to too much or too little water. And both of those scenarios will cause the leaf tips to turn brown. Peace lilies in their natural habitat grow in almost standing water. So they like a lot of water. So if you overwater them, they can kind of take that. But then if they dry out too much, some of their roots and then some of the, the leaf tips are going to brown. It's really a challenge, Judy, to grow a peace lily without any brown leaves for anybody. So almost always some of those tips are going to get brown. That's kind of a, it's kind of more sensitive in that way. And yet at the same time, it's a pretty tough house plant. And it's one that will usually bloom if you have uh, medium to higher light conditions. All right. Thanks, Judy. Let's grab a call from Diana, then we'll get some text messages. Uh, Diana, you are on uh, with Mary here on CCO. Diana, good morning. Good morning, Denny and Mary. Um, my question is, I the front of my house faces, faces west, and I want to find out what kind of shrubs I could plant in front of my house that are colorful, that won't get too big. And I was wondering what Mary's suggestion would be for that. What do you think, Mary? Well, the first one that comes to mind when you say colorful are spirea, or maybe Wygelia, those are both ones that have flowers on that are tough uh, shrubs. Those are both deciduous. In other words, they're not going to be um, evergreen. Uh, West-facing is a good amount of sunlight, but it isn't as harsh as a south face uh, is. But we do have a wonderful resource on the website. Julie Weisenhorn has put together a great plant elements of design. And you can put in the criteria uh, if you want something that's two to three feet tall with flowers. Um, you can put that in the search engine for this uh, plant uh, elements of design, the plant database. And it will come up with many alternatives with the pictures, and then you can select from those. So that's a great resource that's on the extension.umn.edu website. 
I was hoping you'd say that because that is yeah. I've used that as a resource for that very thing. It's th- there are thousands of plants in there, and so if you just put the height criteria, you'll get a big list. But then if you narrow it down with flowers, that's going to uh, be fewer. But spirea, there are lots of wonderful spireas uh, that are on the market now, and Wygelia's the same thing as well. Uh, if you like purple foliage, there are some um, uh, dwarfer forms of the. Um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank now that I said that, and I'm seeing the shrub in my mind. The purple shrub, the purple flowers, I'll think of it in a minute. But it's so, um, there's, uh, there used to be just tall forms, now they're short forms. Little devil is the uh, common, is the cultivar hmm. name. Oh, okay, I'll think of it in a second. It'll come to you yeah. by 3 o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> no, I'll think of it in a minute. All right. Uh, text, t- thanks, Diana. Texter says, when, a couple of things, actually, when should I start impatient seeds? That's the first question. I would do that right now. The impatient seed are kind of the some of the longest ones to grow. You can do that quite successful, um, be quite successful with that. Um, if you save your own, you'll end up with all old magenta ones. But the new ones, new, they're new disease-resistant forms of impatience now available. And so that right now is a good time. And the other part of the question is really uh, is, uh, is a programming uh, idea. Uh, says, can you or could you give a weekly update on what seeds to start that week? Yes, that's There's a good idea. idea. That yeah. is a good idea because we normally think of backing up from the frost date um, six to eight weeks, which is like where we are now, and then we get down to six weeks, four to six weeks, two to three. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. What seeds to start now? I like that. We appreciate the ideas, and you guys really, uh, you and your colleagues, ask for uh, some suggestions mm-hmm. to what to feature on the show. Yes, we do. We we are, yeah, our listeners have great ideas, so that's wonderful to have that. Very good. Right. Again, 651-989-9226. That's the text number. That's the phone number. So either one, whatever is easier for you. Uh, when is the best time, a uh, texter says, to trim back, I think they mean a spirea, and how much can I trim it back? You can prune the spireas right now, but I would wait until just after it flowers. If you're pruning it right now, you're going to take off the flower buds because spirea is one of the earliest plants to bloom in the spring. So just after flowering is the best time. Well, here's a fun one. Not that they all aren't. Your show is my favorite in caps. (laughs) I listen every Saturday and now bought an Arboretum membership due to the show. I brought my beautiful hibiscus in, and it blooms about once a week. The leaves are now covered with little white spots. The spots don't move. There are no webs. Do you have any thoughts? Wow, the spots don't. So there's so kind of good spots. news, bad news. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. The, the fact that it's flowering is a really good sign. So the plant has enough food reserves. Everything is wonderful. Otherwise, it wouldn't put out the flowers. So I'm wondering if those spots are some uh, other, um, when something else happened to it that really was um, not a pest problem, but somehow burned some holes or made some holes on the leaves um, that really are not not um, an issue. So I, I would not worry about that. As long as it's clean, you can't uh, see any webs or anything that would be spider mites, white flies would be flying around, then it's not anything to worry about. Oh, good. That's great. Yeah. And very glad you joined the Arboretum. 
That's good. Yes, that's yeah. wonderful. That's great. Mary, we need to take a break. For our listeners, we have about another half hour of the show to go, but if you don't wait, if you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, uh, call it in or text it in as soon as you can, 651-989-9226, so we can get to answer those for you. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the U of M. And Mary, I know we wanted to kind of backtrack, catch up a little bit on a previous uh, callers and texts. Yes. Now, Judy, with your piece, Lily, yes, I went on and on about why that happens, but any brown that's on the leaves, you can actually trim that off with scissors if it bothers you. I've done that before. and um, But it, it's it's pretty inevitable a lot of times with piece, Lily. So you can trim off the brown if you want to. Um, and just try to have more even watering, not um, uneven watering. And then the shrub question with the purple purple foliage oh, yes. is nine bark. So nine bark little devil is uh, a cultivar, a short cultivar that was developed by David Zlezak right here from the University of Wisconsin River Falls. Oh, okay. So that's an improved uh, dwarfer form of nine bark. It has uh, flowers as well as a purple uh, leaves of purple foliage. So uh, that was another recommendation of what shrubs to plant. Excellent. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. It's also the text number. And keep in mind that uh, Mary will be here for about another, uh, oh, 15, 18 minutes or so. Uh, Betty's calling in from St. Louis Park, I believe, with a question. Betty, you're on with Mary. Thank you. Um, I have an orchid that was given to me it's in uh, an oval pot that's about 12 inches at the longest side, and it's 6 inches high. It's um, Some people say it's got two pots inside of it, and it's very steep. Um, I was uh, the, the instructions that came with it said to put three... Pi- Three pieces of ice, three cubes of ice. I've had it about a month. Um, it was so steep, I put some toothpicks in it uh, to hold the ice cubes on it. And the, on the right side, the leaves are happy. On the left side, three leaves are falling down. I don't know if it doesn't get enough water or it gets too much on the left side. What do you think? Well, the ice cube idea um, is a way to give minimal water to orchids. We actually wrote an article about that. You can find it on our Yard and Garden News. But the best way to water is is to about uh, once a week or 10 days is to water your um, orchid in the sink. Just wet it well and let it drain out in the sink. So I think, Betty, if you look really closely at that, when you talk about double pots, you might have an attractive, very nice pot on the outside. But on the inside, you'll have a plastic container. And sometimes it's see-through clear plastic container, very thin, that's holding that orchid. That's how they're produced in the greenhouses. And then they put them in the beautiful uh, ceramic pots and sell them. Uh, So if you can look closely and see if you can lift the whole orchid out with that little transparent plastic pot, 
then you water that in the sink. There's probably a hole in the bottom of that. That's a better way to water your orchid than the ice cubes. Now, the, the ice cubes are kind of easy, mm-hmm. but they they it's really difficult to get enough water that way. Mm-hmm. And very cold mm-hmm. ice on orchid roots can kill the roots. So um, if you look up in the extension.umn.edu website and search orchid watering, the article, I think, will come up about the um, the ice cubes, but also there's care of orchids there that will help you. That's great timing, Mary, because I was just looking at a text that came in a few minutes ago about the care of orchids. So that's, and right. they were driving, so they couldn't uh, call couldn't it call in. It, right. Yeah. Julie is a great aficionado with orchids. She has... Uh, she has successfully reflowered orchids where I enjoy the orchids and then I give them away or I throw them away after they're done flowering because I have not been successful in getting them to re-bloom. Re, uh, okay. Texter wants to know, what can I plant for butterflies? Wow, there's so many great uh, native plants that you can uh, put in for butterflies. Uh, many of our native perennials, uh, the liatris, monarda, um, phlox is a great uh, one. Uh, many of the chrysanthemums, uh, asters um, in the fall. Some of our early spring blooming bulbs, uh, crocus and um, the scillas. Uh, bees, butterflies really like those. So we do have a lot of information on that on uh, plants for pollinators at the extension.edu extension.umn.edu website. So a lot of resources now on that. Really? I mean, it, yeah. it, it is a great resource for, for so many things. It, it is, and they're, they're really, we, we can make a difference with individual homeowner uh, properties with uh, plantings. Even in urban areas, uh, we can create a lot of habitat uh, for butterflies. And uh, bees. And bees as well. Bees as well, right? Mm -hmm. Texter says this, Mary, starting a veggie garden this spring, what's the best mixture or combination of soil to use? Black dirt, sand, compost, peat moss, et cetera? Well, I would urge you to uh, have a soil test of your native soil that you're going to be using where you're going to plant the vegetable garden to see what the nutrient levels are and the organic matter levels. Uh, We have a lot of wonderful soils here in Minnesota. The most difficult place to grow a vegetable garden are the compacted soils where there has been construction or in urban soils where you might have contaminants. So the basic soil test will not test for contaminants, but it will test for um, phosphorus and potassium, pH, and organic matter and tell you, rec- give you recommendations on that. So I would start with that, and then if you can add any type of organic matter like uh, compost or um, manure, things like that, that will improve the tilth of your soil. Uh, I would work on that. But first, I'd get a soil test before you think about really um, adding anything else. And I know uh, you and your colleagues, Mary, will uh, bring in, as we get closer, when we start seeing our lawns again, (laughs) we'll bring in a, a, a turf expert. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. We're actually hiring a new extension educator uh, a position similar to Sam Bowers. Oh, yeah. I remember Sam used to come in here. Right. Uh, so hopefully that person will be on board before the end of the summer, I would hope. And um, yes, and we can talk about specific um, lawn care as well. Which we will anyway. Yes, during, we will anyway. It's nice to have the experts. Absolutely. <laughs> Texter says this, Mary, I have a 20-plus-year-old Hoya 
which has not bloomed in the past two years. I've not made any changes to its care. How can I promote blooming this year? So, wow, good for you. I'd love to have a 20-year-old Hoya. So what do is, they look like? This is a wax plant. It's kind of a viney plant, and it has a big, really quite uh, sophisticated um, flower. Mm. So it's very uh, complicated kind of looking flower, but very pretty with a wax plant, uh, multiple little flowers together. But, um, you know, if you've had this plant flower in the past, you're probably in the same, doing pretty much everything the same. So I would consider uh, a couple things, uh, fertilizing it. And now that the days are getting longer, our houseplants are really going to start to grow again. So I'd consider upping the fertility uh, fertilizer that you're putting on it. And then I'd think about repotting it. Uh, Hoyas will often flower in a small pot, uh, pretty confined. But I, you know, 20 years is a long time to have a plant. So I would think about uh, putting it in a, a different pot, not necessarily a lot bigger, but just adding some more soil with uh, different nutrients. And hopefully that will help it. All right. Very good. 651-989-9226. That's the phone number. That's the text number here on CCO. A lot of text, Mary, which is not unusual. Here's another one that says, I have two fairly small but growing peace lilies that get many yellow leaves. The soil feels dry in the surface a couple of days after they are watered. Uh, they have good drainage. Water more often, or am I giving them too much but don't know if uh, or when the surface is quite dry? What do you think about that? I, I would try to water them a little more often and make sure that that soil is actually getting wet thoroughly. Sometimes with the soilless mixes and um, synthetic mixes, you can put water on a plant, and it will water kind of around the outside and start coming out the bottom without the root ball actually getting wet. So you want to make sure that you do saturate that root ball and it's getting thoroughly wet. Maybe put it in the sink and and uh, have the water stand, uh, sit in water for a few minutes so that it actually can absorb the water in the root ball. Uh, because it, in a day or two, it shouldn't be dried out again. It should take more like a week. Oh, okay. Water. All right. Uh, here's, uh, we have, uh, the text says this, we have a rhubarb plant that we felt was in a very odd location, basically in the middle of our lawn. It brought us a lot of rhubarb, but we wanted to uh, move it. So we dug it up, replanted it about 40 feet away, but close to a tree. Ever since then, it has really struggled. It does not seem to seem like it's uh, completely dead, but it doesn't give us any pickable rhubarb anymore. Yeah, it's like that full sun condition. So it wasn't so good for you, but it was was good for the rhubarb because the rhubarb really does need full sun conditions. If it has competition with trees, that it's just too much. So it's probably uh, just going to be a while to get reestablished there. But it, it it needs at least six hours of sun a day, and and better if it's more than that. So. Um, you might want to try a new you, – you might have better luck with a brand-new rhubarb plant because it would have an established root system, um, maybe, but basically full sun is the answer. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hang on, Mary. We need to take a quick break here. We have more show to come. We have more text messages to answer. And if you uh, want to call in your lawn and garden question, that's good too, 651-989-9226. And we are back talking lawns and gardens as we do every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your phone calls and text messages. Mary Meyer is with us from the U of M answering those questions. Mary, as usual, tons of text messages. Let's see how many we can feel before you have to leave us. 
Um, to do, to, okay, uh, a butterfly garden. That's what the, this person is interested in creating on the west side of my home. Is this an appropriate side to do this? And if so, what can I do now to, uh, to start it? There's grass there now, they say. Yes, that's a fine place to do that. A west side will get quite a bit of sun, which most of the butterfly plants like, and butterflies like uh, sunny conditions as well. So what you can do right now, I would uh, make a list of plants that you are thinking about buying from things that bloom early in the spring to ape, from April to October. That's the biggest challenge with butterfly gardening is getting something that blooms all season long. So one plant won't do that, but scillas in the springtime to asters in the fall. So you want to think about the the whole season um, in front of you. And bulbs are good as well as perennials. There's some annuals that work well for uh, butterflies. Uh, Tithonia is the butterfly uh, plant. That's a big plant known for attracting um Uh, uh, butterflies. Uh, But um, as far as if it's sod there now and soil, uh, you might want to think about how you're going to remove that top sod layer and then plant uh, below that. Sometimes people actually put down a mulch, a cover of cardboard newspaper or something to kill the grass and then plant uh, in between that. But uh, if it's a really big area, I would only do a small part of it at a time. Okay. Good suggestion. Um, another hibiscus question, Mary. All the leaves in my hibiscus, uh, hibiscus plant are turning yellow and dropping. This happened a year ago as well. Any idea why? Yeah, it's tough to get enough light inside for the hibiscus. And usually we'll see that leaf drop when they come in um, in the fall of the year when you bring them in. But it can happen throughout the year as well. Uh, They might put out leaves and then not have enough light. So then they drop the leaves because they can't uh, produce enough food to sustain all those leaves. But hibiscus are really tough. If you've gotten it this far through the winter, just hang on for a few more weeks, and then you'll be able to put it outside again. Mary, you and I were talking about grapes uh, at the first uh, part of the show. A texter wants to know, where can I go to buy Minnesota grape cultivars? Um, the garden centers that's carry those? A good, yes, yes. There are garden centers that carry those. So I would try the uh, big garden centers, Bachman's, Dundee's, Otten Brothers, uh, Mickman Brothers, uh, the, what's the Paul, Paul's Garden Center? That yeah. yeah, yeah. There are a lot of them. I would try those. I would basically look online at these uh, different garden centers websites. Um, there's also a resource plantinfo.umn.edu that's run through our library system, the Anderson Library at the Arboretum, that is a, a source for locating plants. We'll tell you where uh, you can buy those retail versus wholesale uh, nurseries. Never really had a question like this, and maybe this is not appropriate, but a a texter says, I'm looking for someone to hire, a master gardener maybe, for help with what to plant for the front of my house. I took a class by master gardeners, was told I could hire help that is not a large landscaping company. How do I find somebody for the East Metro? I have not been able to find anyone. I'm not sure if master gardeners do that. Most kind of usually, work. master gardeners will not do that. I didn't usually, think so. they're they're going to only give out educational um, information. Um, you, you know, if you want to pursue that, and you're the West Metro, so if Hennepin, you it's can East always Metro. East Metro. East Metro. Oh, sorry. So you can also Ramsey County Master Gardeners do have a website. Um, you could contact them for recommendations, but they're not going to come out and work on individual. Um, uh, um, 
homeowner properties. Right, landscaping. That's not work, something yeah. that they do. No. Yeah, it's plus it's tough work. That landscaping <laughs> yeah, work is, is tough, tough work. work yeah. But that's what garden centers do. So I would I would contact garden centers. Yeah. Many garden centers will come out and do estimates or free estimates and so on, and um, you could talk to them. So that's really the the best bet. Master gardeners are sources of educational information, but not uh, work. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a daughter texter says, gave me an azalea last fall, barely living. Now it is healthy and covered with white flowers. Is it hardy? Can I leave it outside over the next winter, or is it best as a house plant in winter? It's best as a house plant. Most of the florist hydrangeas are not our hardy um, hydran- or uh, florist azaleas. They're not hardy azaleas. So they're right. They're just uh, nice as a house plant. You can plant them outside. There's a chance they might bloom again this summer, but I would doubt if it would live through the winter. All right, let's see what else we've got before we run out of time. Uh, Texas says, I have three peony plants. Every summer after blooming, the leaves get black spots. All three are south-facing. Yeah, those black spots are botrytis. So botrytis is a very common uh, fungal disease that gets on peonies. Um, it, it's not fatal, but it can weaken the plants. So try to keep the foliage as dry as possible. If you can improve the air circulation, that's another uh, thing to do. The other thing is, is in the fall, when they get so many black spots on them, I cut down those peony uh, uh, foliage and take the black spots and put them in a municipal compost site or um, a home compost might not get hot enough. But if you remove those, the sanitation can help minimize the botrytis problem. Texter wants to know what the best time and method for trimming white pine. So you can prune white pine right now in the dead of the winter. Sometimes people prune the pines as the, um, the tips as they're coming out in the springtime as well. So it depends a lot on what your overall goal is. Uh, white pines don't normally need much pruning. Um, and when they're young, I wouldn't worry about pruning them uh, at all. But in the dead of the winter, this is a uh, good time to prune them. All right. Texter says, can herbaceous peonies be planted in the spring? What about tree peonies? I've had uh, good luck transplanting peonies in the fall. That's exactly right. You can plant them in the spring when you buy them in a container. That's the best way to do a tree or regular herbaceous. If you have them in the ground and you want to move them, the fall is the best time to move them. So peonies, yeah, we move those in the fall, and that is a job. Peonies have a gigantic big, big root system. They're hard to transplant because there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, most people don't get the whole peony. There's a little bit of it will be left. And you'll see a little old peony coming up where you thought you got all oh, the peony. But yeah, so fall is the transplant time. Another texter wants to know, is it safe to use miracle Grow products with seedlings? Well, you do have to be careful because seedlings, normally fertilizer is not what's limiting. They're just, they're just very small and young and getting going. So usually you don't need to fertilize them until they're up to the two or four true leaf stage. So the first leaves are the seed leaves. And then after that, you want to see a few leaves out on these plants before you need to fertilize. Speaking of orchid care, Texter says, mine was doing very well, had four buds, but rather than open and flower, they began to dry up and die. It had flowered before. The rest of the plant appears healthy. 
Yeah, that is unfortunate because uh, if you get that far to get the buds, that's showing that the, the plant has enough reserves, that growing conditions are good. But unfortunately, then if they fall off, that means something went wrong. It didn't get enough uh, water. Uh, somehow conditions changed. And, yeah, I, I find uh, orchids are challenging, uh, but many people find that they're quite easy. They're very specialized, and you have to have really good light conditions. They do need fertilizer. They need a regular application of fertilizer, and you have to really understand how to water them without um, Overwatering. Overwatering. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. about this. So we talked earlier about this, and I'm glad this texture said this. Where do I get and how do I get a soil test? Yes, the soil tests are done at the University of Minnesota over on the St. Paul campus. You can find the website just by searching under extension.umn.edu soil test, and it will tell you how to take the soil test and send it in. It's, um, I believe it's still $17 for the soil test, and you get a nice representative sample, and then you either send that in or you take that over to St. Paul to the soil lab. So it does get busy in the spring and things back up, but, of course, the challenge is getting the soil because now it's frozen. So it's it's hard. But once things thaw out in the spring and you can go around, look on the website because you want multiple uh, samples together and you mix that up, you only need about half a cup, but it has to be a good representative sample. We have exactly 60 seconds to go, Mary. And this texter says when to plant and how deep a dahlia bulb. Well, dahlias are very uh, cold sensitive. So you want to wait till all the chance of frost is over. And then the depth is, um, the depth of those dahlia tubers is, eh, that's two, three inches. And you always have to have an eye on the tuber. So it's kind of, um, kind of specialized, but it's, those are tropicals. They love the warm, hot conditions and they don't like cool conditions. All right. We're out of time. Mary, it's good to see you again. Well, what's that website Great for the U of to be here. So extension.umn.edu and then click on garden. That will answer all of your yard and garden questions. I'm going to look up uh, what should we be seeding when. Good. What seeds to start now? I think I'll write a yard and garden news article on that. You have homework so to do. I have homework. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. My pleasure. Good to see you. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.